How can average working citizens like us, how can we reform our unjust financial system to erode the wealth and power of big banks, traditional corporations, and the super rich, and redistribute that wealth and power back to average working citizens without relying on politicians and regulations? This is the question we ask on The Crowd Effect. I am your host, Paul Lovejoy, activist, investment advisor, and founder of Stakeholder Enterprise. On today's show, we're going to talk about democratic vehicles of change. Now, the democratic vehicle of change that I think about, and I think most people think about when it comes to reforming our financial system is through the political process, elections. And that's what I did back in 2008. I volunteered for the Barack Obama campaign. I was part of the Get Out the Vote uh, campaign in Florida. And the results of my efforts didn't, I didn't feel that reform was going to happen anytime soon. Um, on top of that, uh, just debating in general, especially political debates, um, are really mean spirited online. I remember getting into uh, a debate online. I went on to a conservative website and I started asking questions about conservatism because I, I didn't didn't really understand it. Um, you know, born and raised in Southern California, I went to school uh, college in the New York City metro area, so I had a very liberal upbringing, and I just didn't quite I couldn't wrap my head around conservatism. So I went on to um, this conservative website and started asking questions. Um, I remember one question I asked was, um, if why don't conservatives want to conserve our environment? And I thought that was a reasonable question, but um, the answers that I I got from you know the members of the site, you know, they were calling me troll and other things. And I remember there's one guy I had a back and forth with. And, you know, my heart would race when I saw a notification that uh, he reacted to my comment and I would read it and I would get upset and I would think about it and I'd be like, okay, well, this will get him. This one comment is going to just totally burn him. And then, uh, you know, I would hit send and the comment would go out and uh, I, I, then I would get another notification about uh, you know, him responding to my response and he was a very clever, uh, person to, to debate. And it just, it didn't make me feel good. I, I didn't like it. Um, and, and in the end, no one was convincing anyone of an, anything. Um, this was back in maybe 2010 or so. Now I didn't really understand conservatives or conservatism until, uh, 2011 and when I moved to Oklahoma and there I 
saw some of the most warm and kind-hearted and generous people that I have ever met. Um, and they were all conservatives. They wanted me to uh, come to their church where they have these really incredible communities where people look out for each other. Um, and it's, it's quite amazing how, how people have each other's backs out there uh, in Oklahoma. One uh, event really uh, sticks out in my mind where there was, uh, I witnessed a car accident at an intersection. And before I could even think about, oh, I should get out and check to see if anyone's okay, I saw maybe five or, or, or six guys leap out of their vehicles and just run towards the danger. They didn't know who was in this car. They didn't, they didn't know anything about them. But just the the immediate, um, I guess, knee jerk reaction of of the people that I saw were to was to help, and it completely transformed the way I looked at people who called themselves conservatives. It's um, and now I consider I have some very good friends um, that I would that call themselves conservatives. So. The whole debating, the whole political thing, the pitting against one another, I just find it um, silly. And, you know, who who is benefiting from it? Well, politicians are, are benefiting from this. Um, why? Well, when, you, when the political parties are at each other's throat and they say things like, there is so much riding on this debate, or, or this election, I should say, there's so much riding on this election. Um, well, regular people then they, they they reach towards their pockets and they they fund their um, political candidate of choice, a liberal or or conservative. And it it really um, is getting to be a lot a lot of money. Um, so in the 2020 election cycle. Uh, small donors, these are people who gave less than $200, gave $1.8 billion to congressional campaigns alone. That doesn't count the presidential election. It uh, doesn't count um, you know, state and local elections, just to congressional campaigns, which is a crazy amount of money, $1.8 billion. Um and here's here's another thing that I, I find odd is that in uh, 2022, Gallup released a poll on the uh, ethical uh, and trustworthiness of certain various careers. I think at the top of the list in 2022 was nurses, and at the very bottom of the list were members of Congress. Uh, 63% res uh, of respondents gave the rating low or very low. Um, so, so average Americans find members of Congress unethical and uh, dishonest. Uh, we gave them $1.8 billion in 2020 uh, election cycle. And here's the craziest part of all. Um, 
researchers, there's there's these uh, two researchers, one from Princeton University, the other from Northwestern University, they did a study. And let me see if I can pull up that study really quickly. It's called Testing Theories of American Politics, Elites, Interest Groups, and Average Citizens. So what this study found was um, that average American citizens, you know, people who are small donors, um, when they want a law passed, doesn't matter if it's conservative or liberal, just your average American, when average Americans want a law pass, it has a 30% chance of passing. Uh, when average Americans don't want a law pass, passed, it has a 30% chance of passing. Now compare that to uh, large donors or corporate donors. When they don't want a law passed, it doesn't pass 70% of the time. And when they do want a law passed, it, it passes 50% of the time. So the researchers found that average American citizens have a statistically non-significant impact in determining public policy. And at the same time, they found that large donors, you know, super rich and uh, corporate donors have a huge political influence. Um, and this isn't surprising either. Um, to, to have, you know, money plays a huge role in politics. There's a, a ton of influence and a ton of money, and it makes for the average person, it, it's really challenging for us to have any say. So with all of this, I, I came to the conclusion, well, really it was 2016 where I just got fed up with politics and just seeing everyone blaming and arguing. It was just too much, too much. And so I, I, that's when I started to look for a different a democratic vehicle of change. And I found social enterprise, which are organizations that are designed to use business strategies to solve social problems. And um, after finding social enterprise, maybe another two years of just researching it, I've discovered um, crowd investing as democratic vehicles of change. Now, how can crowd investing act as a democratic vehicle of change? So uh, for the rest of this episode, we're going to focus on one specific type of crowd investing. Really, there, there are three types of, of crowd investing. Uh, you have your crowd lending, which is um, when a large group of people uh, pool small amounts of money to uh, fund a loan, either to a business, um, a small business, or a personal loan. So that's crowd lending. And then you have equity crowdfunding. And that is when a large group of regular people pool small amounts of money to fund a business venture in exchange for a percentage of ownership of the company. And this is at the ground floor. This isn't, um, you know, the stock market. This is 
if if one of these companies goes public then huge profits are available it's also very risky um, but these venture venture capital firms that the super wealthy uh in, invest in they have this really diversified strategy um, and it does very well for the super rich so that's equity crowdfunding and then you have uh, real estate crowdfunding which is i mean it's there's an alternative class of investments but real estate is really the only thing that's available on the alternative side uh, and there's a lot of that going on which is significant because um it's getting harder and harder for the middle class to become homeowners and this is uh, real estate crowdfunding is a backdoor uh, way to to become a homeowner and to build wealth with um, you know the appreciation of real estate and also the rents that get received so all of this is very significant um, but we're gonna focus on crowd lending uh, today so crowd lending why is it so important and how can it reform our financial system and this is just one step here so i'm going to pull up uh, some interesting things here okay so first off um, only four banks control half of all the u.s banking assets in 2021 according to the annual federal reserve report all right the banks are chase bank of america Wells Fargo and Citigroup. So having a, a small amount, uh, just these four banks uh, controlling half of all the banking assets is, is dangerous. So when there's this large concentration of wealth, it increases the likelihood of another financial crisis. And that's exactly what happened in the financial crisis of 2008. You know, remember too big to fail? Uh, it's the same thing here. Um, banks create money. So I, I know a lot of people think that government is responsible for the creation of money. They maybe create uh, some estimates say, you know, around 3% of all money creation is created by uh, government. The rest is banks. Well, they create this money uh, through loans that they give. Now, they can give loans based on the amount of deposits in their bank. So let's say there is a billion dollars in a bank, so they can loan a uh, billion dollars sort of it, it depends there's something called fractional reserve lending and uh it, it's a percentage that they're allowed to so uh, at some point in the past they were allowed to um loan out 90 percent of all the deposits they have so if it was a billion dollars then they could loan out 900 million dollars well today that percentage is zero zero percent so they, if they have a billion dollars in the bank, they can loan a billion dollars in the bank. And, and this is how money is created. They don't actually 
take your money out of your bank account to loan it to somebody, they are creating uh, the money. And it's legal. These banks are allowed to do it. And it's not a, a completely horrible thing uh, to have money creation. It, it, it increases the size of the pie. So, so it's not a, a net a zero-sum game. It, it, it allows uh, more money, allows more people to um, gain wealth. That's in theory. But what's actually happening is it's just the rich is getting richer uh, through this money creation. Um, and, and on top of that, it's, there is too much money being created. And this is why we have systemic inflation, why, um, the price of all goods is constantly going up is because when there's more money in our economy, um, when there's too much money in our economy, um, that money loses value. So, so banks are doing that. They are, uh, setting us up for financial crisis. They are setting us up for continued systemic inflation. Um, let's see what else banks do. They, they're funding income inequality. Um, so the loans that they give are often time to exploitive companies and projects, which perpetuate income inequality. It, it's increasing this wealth divide. All right. Um, they are also are chronically abusing the public. Okay. So I'm going to pull something up here. All right. Since 2000, the violation tracker project, um, which is pretty cool. They track industries and corporations and all the fines that they've received, um, throughout they've started in 2000 and they have, it's a pretty interesting, um, a site you can kind of, you know, pick a corporation and, and see how many times they've been fined uh, through violations. So, okay, so these four banks, Chase, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, and Citigroup. Since 2000, these four major banks have recorded a combined 882 violations, totaling over $167 billion in penalties. Okay, so the top three violations are toxic security abuses, investor protection violations, and traditional banking violations. Those are the top three. Now, I, I know Chase, this was the, first of all, this is the, the wealthiest bank in America, Chase. And they are consistently on the top 10 uh, most profitable corporations in the world. Um, they're sharing the list with uh, the Saudi oil and um, state-run Chinese banks and some other uh, corporations. That That's an interesting look, too, taking a look at that top 10. Uh, anyways, Chase, they uh, held the personal accounts of Bernie Madoff and you know, he was doing all this crazy Ponzi scheme stuff and Chase never once uh, looked into um, investigating um, Bernie Madoff, not once. And which is crazy because anytime there's a transaction over $10,000, you're required to uh, notify the federal government. Um, 
And there's also something if there's a suspicious activity over $10,000. So, and that never got uh, reported. And of course, we know what Bernie Madoff did uh, to uh, regular investors. Um, also hedge funds and, and things like that. He, he scammed a lot of people. Um, so abusing the public. Um, Gallup released a poll in 2022 um, asking about the confidence Americans have in our banking uh, industry. And only 27% of Americans have a great deal of confidence in our banking industry. Now, here is the kicker. Americans have a combined $1.75 trillion placed in personal bank accounts. All right. This doesn't include business or institutional bank accounts. This is just personal uh, checking and savings accounts. And combined average, you know, Americans have $1.75 trillion. And, you know, what do we get in return? You know, putting that $1.75 trillion into these, um, into the banks. Well, we get um, financial crisis, systemic inflation. Um, uh, we get uh, banking abuse and the funding of exploitive uh, companies and projects. Okay, so this is where crowdlending can come in at, to reform this uh, financial system, especially the banking industry. Okay, crowd lending, you compete with these banks. And instead of um, people going to the bank to borrow money, they go to regular people. So for you, there could be, um, you could fund a, a personal loan with as little as $25 Let's say, let's say there is a, someone who wants to take out a loan of $10,000. Well, traditionally, you would go to uh, a bank and borrow the $10,000, and uh, the bank would create the money, and then you would pay them back uh, principal and interest, and the bank profits from that. With crowd lending, um, that $10,000, let's say you wanted to put in just $25 uh, towards that. So now let's say there are 399 other people also put in $25. That that's that totals $10,000. So, so now that one person is paying back 400 different people. And instead of a bank collecting the principal and interest and creating money, no money is created and regular 400 regular people are collecting that interest and principal. And this is a way to erode that wealth and power and give it to uh, average working people. And this is uh, a way to reform our financial system without any arguing. There's no debating going on. Um, it's, it's taking that power away from, from the banking industry, which is you know, really abusing us. 
and it it puts money into pockets who need it. Um, with the the income inequality divide, regular people need all the extra income that they can get, and with with crowd lending, uh, you can be incredibly diversified. So, you know, if let's say you have a thousand dollars and you put in twenty five dollars, you could be into forty different loans. That's significant diversification, and. If you do that over you know five, 10 years, you are at bank level diversification, um, really minimizing your risk and you're, you're collecting the principal and interest. Um, oftentimes, um, it's especially now um, during this time of heavy inflation, the returns, you're, you're looking at double digit returns. Um, uh, currently. So, so it increases the income of, of average uh, people. And at the same time, erodes the wealth and power of, of traditional banks. And um, this is uh, one way that we can all do easily. I mean, who doesn't have $25? Most people do. You know, some people don't. Um, but most people have $25 and most people um, could afford to put that $25 into uh, an investment. Um, now, uh, the, the next couple of days, we'll, we'll talk about the other types of crowd investing, uh, equity crowdfunding and real estate crowdfunding. Uh, but, but that's all for today. And I've been trying to work on my sign off here. I know the last couple of episodes, I, I have been stumbling on that, but, um, how about this? I am a crowd investor and I see you are one too. We'll talk tomorrow. Have a good day.